Hey, welcome to Good Behavior Podcast. I'm Brian Hall, and today's featured guests are Claire Aberbat and Joseph Primavera. with a one-year-old son, Paolo, and we're listening now to their band, The Looks of It, a project which once was and will be again, fortunately. They also own and operate Philly Music Lessons, a music school with over 250 students, providing private lessons in-home and in-studio, group classes, kid classes, baby and toddler classes, and before I say too much more, let me shut up so we can enjoy the rest of this beautiful song. That was Le Petit Prince, named after and borrowing from the famous literary work, of course, and those are about the only three words of French I know, but clearly Claire studied French in school. And this song is one of the few songs from the looks of it that is actually out in the world, because you see, this band released a short EP in 2010, played a handful of shows, and then sort of disappeared, or so it would seem to the outside world. But in fact, they did continue writing and recording and have probably a dozen fantastic songs waiting in the wings in various stages of completion that would and could and should be an amazing album one day. In this episode, I'm going to offer many little glimpses into these works in progress because, well, Joey and Claire said I could. But first, a little backstory. Claire, Joey, and I have known each other for a very long time. We're all in Philly now, but we're from the same hometown. Since moving to Philly, Joey and I have lived together. You'll hear references to the Ridge House in Roxborough and the Shunk House in South Philly. And we've been in bands together, starting with the What Monsters, which you'll hear mentioned, and our current band, Grubby Little Hands, in which Joey is a guitarist, engineer, and key creative component. Our hometown is a place called Why I'm Missing, a small town, maybe four square miles, outside of Reading, about an hour away. Our elementary, middle junior, senior high schools were made up of grades of about 100 to 150 students, so almost everybody knew each other. Joey was a year or two younger than me, Claire was a year or two younger than Joey, Taylor Swift was a year or two younger than Claire. Yes, it's a tiny town apparently ripe with talent, but this episode isn't about Taylor. I'm sure I'll meet with her later to do her episode. This one is about Joey and Claire. How did you two meet? Do you remember? It was at Hurricane Funk practice. You would have been 12, I guess. Something like that. Yeah, so I was 
with my boyfriend at the time going to see his band practice. He was the drummer of Hurricane Funk, and that is where I met Joey, the guitar player. <laughs> is that really the first time we met? As from, from what I remember. Uh, Do you remember? I don't remember the first, first meeting. I just remember like a generalized time of, yeah. It was like seventh and eighth grade is when we first met. Seventh, eighth grade? Yeah. Love at first sight? For me, but not for her. <laughs> <laughs> not in the way that I knew at the time, but I have very distinct memories of all the times that, well, maybe not all the times, but what I think are all the times that I met you in those early days. <laughs> so that's saying something, maybe. I just systematically worked for like 10 years. It was like a, it a long play. Like, yeah, like I kept like a spreadsheet. It was very... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so they started hanging out a bit in seventh or eighth grade, but they didn't start dating until their young 20s. And I learned they didn't actually hang out much in those eight or nine years in between. And I also came to learn, maybe I should have already realized this, that it was because I was dating Claire's older sister, Kira, while living with Joey and playing in a band together, that Claire began visiting and eventually dating Joey. I was coming, well, do we want to talk about that too? Because this is another band-related <laughs> moment. There was, was a band called The What Monsters. The Monsters yeah, in Philly from what? college because I had two sisters who were coming down to see The What Monsters. And that's how I uh, ended up seeing you guys playing. Yeah. But weren't you guys friends already, like in high no. school or no? Not really? Well, we were mm. for like, I used to sit in the computer lab with you guys, with Tom and all of Yeah, we were acquaintances, but we didn't see each other that much in high school. Yeah, we didn't. I was friends with I Kira. I think we were like sort of like satellite friends. And when I say, when I'm talking about the era, I'm talking about like the 12, 13, 14 year old era. Yeah. Joey apparently doesn't remember. Like, no, I, I do. I totally remember it. I just, yeah. like, I remember being on the front porch of your house. And, yeah. Like, I remember meeting your mom. Her mom found these, like, really sick stories that me and Tom used to write. And he was, like, banned from. And I was, like, or yeah. Or she wished she could she have like, banned him from. She's, like, who's this horrible person? Mm-hmm. I wish I could have been, like, your future son in law. Poor Cindy Aberbat. Just kidding. So, and then I remember, times? like, you know, um, Time. I don't know if I, well, you can cut well, it out, so but the first time I smoked weed was with Joey, too, and okay. I was around that age. Yeah, that I remember. And we went, yeah, so like... I'm not cutting that out unless you tell me to cut what that out. <laughs> it's funny to listen to them reminisce. Here they are remembering how they reconnected as adults. Eight years and then reconnected. Alright, so the What Monsters, it was when we were in it a band together. When we were in a band together. And was and it you were dating, dating Kira, <laughs> right? So that's how I was there. And Claire, so you would Claire was come like, along. Oh, well, I'll come. I'll visit Kira and hang out at this house of yeah. crazy people. So the right. last time I had seen Joey was like, uh, we were either he was home for college break or we both were, and we were at salon, and it was like just we talked about lucid dreaming. It was like this amazing conversation for like one time in all these years. So then we didn't see each other again for like four years. So then. When we saw each other... That was all on the spreadsheet, by the way. Yeah. It was like... Apparently, I'm the one keeping the spreadsheet. <laughs> see Claire randomly at a coffee shop talk about lucid dreaming. He, part. like, had this whole technique that he was reading about, but... So we were always on the same page in a weird way. But anyway, speaking of being on the same page, when we saw each other at the Ridge House, we were already drinking, and I just remember, like, Joey moseying up to me. And I had this scapula on, and I'm not religious at all, and it was like a Jesus scapula. And the reason I had it was because I just thought it was really cool, and I was also having, like, you know, I don't know what to call it, but, like, exploring spiritual weird stuff in college. So I was wearing the scapula that I got 
on an adventure in Chicago. And Joey came up to me and he's like, is that the J? And I was like, what? You mean my necklace? And we had this like big connection based on Jesus, which is really weird because neither of us are religious. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I said, is that J because I was reading this book called Disappearance of the Universe at the time, which is like basically based off of this thing called The Course in Miracles. And they talk all about like Jesus and it's like, this weird mixture of Christianity and like Buddhism and Hinduism and, like, kind past of lives and yeah. So I was just kind of into it at the time. I probably like talked your off, your ear off about it like when we lived together. I probably wasn't listening. And you weren't listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you're like, like I'm, I'm not even listening now. It's yeah. the recording. <laughs> as as I'll go back and listen later. Starts talking about his crazy religious bullshit. Just tuned out. Okay, so these two end up together, and they end up making beautiful music together, but they come at music from very different places, which will be sort of a recurring theme. And it starts with their musical backgrounds. Joe was a serious student of music for most of his life. Everybody sort of knew that this was a huge part of his identity. Claire experimented with music growing up, but in a less structured environment, more in the playful kind of way as she and her sisters and cousins would put on puppet shows and living room musicals. She never took lessons, despite that she now leads a classroom. First, Joe. I remember you being the guitar, the guitar player in Why Missing. <laughs> like back Just, when I was also a guitar player, I was a guitar player, yeah. and you were the guitar player. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. When did you start playing music? Started playing music when I was like eight. Started on drums because my dad was a drummer, had a drum set in the basement, and then about a year later. I discovered my mom's Martin guitar that was in her closet, same one that you recorded with the other night. And the moment he discovered the guitar, it seems he knew that that was going to be his life passion. So then I believe you went to governor's school for music? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does so, that even mean? It, it's just a, it's a free camp that you basically have to audition college style. You, you send in a tape, and then you get called back for in-person auditions and then you go to this five-week camp in Erie, PA. It's, it's since been discontinued, oh. which sucks, but basically when the crash happened and all the states were like cutting budgets, they, Pennsylvania discontinued governor school. But yeah, so it was free when you got in. It was, I ended up meeting my future college roommate there who was the other guitar player. There were two guitar players in Pennsylvania and I met, yeah, his Only name. two guitar players get into this camp. Usually. The whole state. Yeah, like one or two. So you were one of two, two guitar players in the state of Pennsylvania. That year, yeah, that of year. the ones that applied. Right. Governor's school is what pushed me in the jazz direction because I wasn't sure. I was taking classical guitar lessons. I wasn't sure which one I wanted to do. After high school, Joey went to Temple University to study jazz guitar. Claire went to school for ceramics at Penn State, and she has always been known for her artistic ability. Ceramics, photography, illustrations many skills and passions that she still actively pursues. But many of us were unaware of her musical talents until the formation of the looks of it. Claire, you are obviously an artist in many regards. With with photography, (laughs) illustrations, you've always been a very visual artist. And then we discovered that you were also an amazing, you have a beautiful voice, that you can write songs 
play guitar. Yeah, that just came a, out of nowhere. It I kind of felt no like that, that to me. Songs. Maybe to you, you always knew that you had that in you. But being sort of, you know, a friend for a long time, I don't, that, you know, whenever the looks of it sort of became a thing, that was sort of like, it kind of blew us all away. But Claire explains it wasn't completely out of nowhere. Well, okay, my mom was really musical. And all of us growing up, we had a piano in our house and we all were always like singing really loud, <laughs> playing piano. Um, in particular, probably me and Kira the most. And like, I mean, I used to write like music. We were always writing songs actually. So like from a really early age, like me and my cousins and um, sisters and one of the first songs that I can remember, okay, so we had a karaoke machine, we all would go to New Hampshire with a couple different, like, families of our family, and we would put on concerts, so one of the first songs I remember was Dad, Mom, Dad, Dad and that, it was just like, what, little kids who are, like, six or seven. So you were always writing songs. Oh, totally, I mean, this is... You know what's funny is like I always would write songs and I would didn't know how to read notes or anything so I would make I would write them myself so I could try to remember the melody. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. on like sort in sort of like a spatial way. And I don't think I ever worked though because I wouldn't be able to figure out like what note I had started on. But I used I probably have like notes and diaries of like songs that I was writing. Interesting. What's the dad mom dad song? <laughs> I guess dad mom dad and then there's a and then it says, I love you, I love you. This might be Kira's song, though, so I don't know if I actually wrote it. That's okay. <laughs> and then it's from Kira's the sea it. to the ocean, through and through. <laughs> that was probably a Kira song, but it's still like the first song that I remember in the collection of this karaoke session. Mm -hmm. That was like when we put on the concert. I think we all took turns writing songs. But, okay. So maybe that's a testament to Kira that her song <laughs> sticks out in my brain as like yeah. some kind of childhood thing. I love I mean, that there's two dads. Yeah, dad, mom, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I if don't know we, what that's about. Like if there were to be a third person here, it would be Kira, obviously. Right. Because she True. was like a very important part of the looks of it. So Kira was like member three. And if we had to, for some reason, keep assigning numerical ranks, then Josh Matches would be number four. From the moment they formed an ensemble, he was their bass player. And he was also involved in some of the songwriting sessions. The lead guitarist was Josh Olmsted. Joey had been playing in Olmsted's band, and Olmsted was happy to return the favor, as Joey decided he'd prefer not to play lead while also being a primary vocalist. Their drummer was Nick White at first, then after he moved, it was Alex Mayo. On keys, they had Chrissy Loftus from Infineon for a little while, then Tyler Case. Claire and Kira sang, Claire played acoustic guitar, Kira played melodies on a small keyboard. It was a big band. But they obviously didn't just start dating and then immediately form a seven-piece band. The project evolved into that over time. The idea of collaborating musically did happen pretty much right away, and very organically. The first just kind of inkling of it started almost immediately as we were getting together. I feel like I mean, we just, we just right started away. playing together because like Claire and Kira would be at the Shunk House mm -hmm. and we would just be playing. I, I just remember playing like some songs that I was writing at the time oh. and Claire and Kira just like boom like going into harmonies immediately with it and me just being like oh my god this is really cool like I love just Claire and Kira together is it's an amazing thing like you can't you can't 
replace that like sibling harmony thing it's just such a cool thing so for a brief period of time after the what monsters broke up claire and joey moved into an apartment in west reading where joey was working at a tennis store while claire was doing website work for her uncle when he would go we had i had all his cool equipment and like logic and microphones and a keyboard so it was like free for me to just go on there and play so i would make these like little song goodies probably because i saw him doing it and was just like oh i'm gonna play around with this too i'm like hear music and yeah um and then he would come home and be like oh man I got, I got an idea, and then he would, like, work all night and come out with, like, the rest of the song. And then how the project evolved from a little in-home recording project to a performing band was... It was, sorry, it was Grubby Little Hands had a show at the Kyber, mm-hmm. and I played drums for you guys at that show. Right. And you guys... Because that was back when we, Donnie and I were just a duo, and you yeah. played drums. Yeah. So... And you guys asked the looks of it to open. Uh-huh. And we were like, shit, we need a band. <laughs> so that, then man? we just asked a bunch of musicians yeah. that I knew in Philly. I had actually forgotten that. But basically, after the What Monsters broke up, Donnie Felton and I formed Grubby Little Hands, released an album as a duo, and then asked Joey if he wanted to be our third member for performing. And since he had this other project going with Claire, we added them to the lineup. And yeah, that lit the fire for them. Now, Claire had never performed before. Neither had Kira. It was a hurdle, and it was um, really scary. Definitely a hurdle for but Claire for and Kira. Yeah. To get up there. Yeah. Well, was. okay, so I... And that kind of remained... That remained a little bit of a hurdle, really. Like, I don't you think... Got, I mean, you guys really, got really good at it, but no. you never loved it. I, well, I... Did I love it? I was always nervous, because I think a lot of it had to do with, like feeling like a lack of technical foundation like in like the actual playing like I always wanted to just sing I was like please can I just sing (laughs) Joey was like no (laughs) Joey you jerk it's great that Claire pushed herself to be comfortable and confident playing guitar and singing in front of people because she did get very good at it and now she does it regularly for Philly Music Babies one of the offerings under their business Philly Music Lessons but we'll talk about their business later first drama so I was hoping when I asked what is it like to make music with your significant other I think like whenever we would write together like there was a there was a disconnect and a, a space between like how much Joey knew and how little I knew and it could get frustrating trying to communicate because he wanted to communicate like how he would say with grubby little hands, grubby little hands like with another musician it's like da 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 and like with me it had to be more like roundabout to describe what I was talking about or for him to describe what he was talking about musically and for me to try to understand, like, Right, you're not speaking in the language of music nerds. Yeah, we weren't speaking nerds. in the same, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I would, like, do, I, I remember a couple times where I would do something and I'd be really excited about it, and then Claire would be, like, very lukewarm about it, but then she would try to, like, explain what she didn't like, and it was just really difficult for her to, like, get that across to articulate yeah. what it, what about it is the like, thing that why you why don't you like it <laughs> like, what do you want me to do I and then I would like I would try multiple I mean I remember like getting out papers yeah. and drawing she would always start drawing stuff. <laughs> I'd be like it looks like, like this I it wish should look had. like that yeah I wish we had I love that they were just like frantic drawing. drawings of like I have no idea what the fuck that means <laughs> I don't know <laughs> Like, yeah. this sound was a picture. I think in the it end, like Joey this. kind yeah. of got fed up with dealing with 
I love this. Remember when Claire said that before Joey, before the looks of it, she would sometimes write lyrics on a page in a spatial way to try to help her remember the melody, because she didn't at the time really know how to notate music, and she said it didn't really work. She couldn't always find the same notes when she came back to it later, or figure out how the melody was supposed to go. Well, now we have Claire scribbling these frantic drawings, trying to convey what something sounds like versus what she wants it to sound like. And of course, this is why musicians who study theory and composition have a language to speak with one another. But there is something genius to what Claire is describing, making a connection between the senses, through the filter of the imagination, of course, but taking something aural and making a visual representation. It may not have always worked perfectly as a means of communication, but it's wonderful and humorous to imagine this. Okay, from here on, every song I play in this episode, from this moment forward, is a demo. These are unreleased works, and it is, in my opinion, their best material. Joey and Claire are going to take me through a few of these songs and tell me a little bit about them. They're totally cool with sharing these clips in their current stages, because it's been about three years since they made any progress, and it's really unclear when they'll ever get back to making this album a priority. Also, at some point, while we're sitting in the kitchen of their Fishtown Row home, where they've lived for eight or nine years, Paolo, their adorable one-year-old son, will wake from his nap, so you might hear that happen and get some extra sounds in the background. All right, in no particular order, this is Just Deer. came from kind of two places so I was doing like word cut-ups because our friend Patrick Patrick Lucy is a great poet and he um, I think had at some point shared with us some exercises we might have even gone to see him speak, uh, do a reading live we saw him do a reading live and he did these cut-up poetries for the audience at the end I think and so I was inspired by like the cut-up words and rearranging them into poetry and when I started to do that, I um, started to notice some imagery that reminded me a lot of Maine and this basically post-wedding amazing time that we all had together in these woods and, um, I don't know, just about being connected with nature. I, I guess I can say that we were all tripping. <laughs> um, and we saw this basically like crazy things happened there was like a seal and the sunset and you couldn't tell where the sky and the and the water were because it was all reflecting and there was just like a lone seal swimming out there anyway it was just a very animalistic night and it just reminded me of like nature and and innocence and sort of how we are all that way in a way Hmm. um like i guess sort of thinking that at some point we're all just sort of these animals wandering. Maine is kind of their special place. It's where they got married, they've visited a few times since, and it's where they one day hope to set up a temporary studio. All right, next song, Never Fall Asleep. We used to have a piano in our living room, so I 
was playing piano a lot at that time, and I wrote it on piano, and the lyrics to the song were inspired by the documentary. <laughs> what documentary? No, the documentary. The documentary. There's a documentary about ducks called The Documentary. Perfect name that was waiting to be made. Yeah, and it was inspired by that. We were watching it at Vicky's house, and it was inspired by how when the ducks, when the little ducklings are born, they're up in the nest first, and then the, they like glide down from the nest and fall on these like soft beds of leaves when they first have a listen to the chorus of a track called Time Bomb. like that often where like things just like pour out of me but the chorus of that song was one of them where like I wrote the chords and the lyrics just playing in the basement just like right away cool. it just kind of happened and what is the ticking time bomb like what like there's there's this idea that something is is going to happen yeah I guess I don't know I think it might be about a relationship like waiting to explode but it's not about our relationship, it's just about, like, the idea of... Like, I don't always like just yeah. writing and... Yeah. <laughs> our relationship is I too happy funny, and boring for it to make well, good music about <laughs> And this opened up a delightful can of worms. So, being in a relationship and making music together, because I think a lot of people are in relationships and a lot of people write music, but not very few people, I think, have this thing where you're making music with your significant other. Um, if one of you is like, I wrote a song and it's like about, and it's called Never Should Have Let You In. Is, that, is the other one I like, uh, fuck you. I, always, I don't know if we ever even talked about this. Yeah, I always just assumed that you knew I wasn't <laughs> so, I wasn't trying to give you some like message. Well, what's really funny is that like I feel like they're okay. So maybe I am though. Maybe it's well, subconscious. I'm saying it might be unaware of our own feelings. Um, yeah. So this is like our way of passive aggressively talking to each other. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't make up that example. They literally have another song called "Never Should Have Let You In." Here it is. Truthfully, this song I don't think is about our relationship at all. I hate to say this, but I feel like 
it's not yeah it's one of those things where that's what I started singing and I just kept it like maybe thinking that that was a placeholder I wonder if you, there's something well this is just me saying this yeah I wonder if there's something that it came from that you just won't touch like you're not engaging with but it's inspired by something I don't know and I guess we'll never know this next song is The Information of how like my song my lyrics start as one thing and then they change to another so I don't know if I want to describe I guess I'll describe like really how it started whether or not that's what it means I don't know but it started with the idea that you know you can choose a conventional route or you can choose a non-conventional route and it's really hard to fight like the ads and solicitation to be a normal person and to just sort of follow convention just the idea of differences between ways of living and how they really matter when it comes down to like everyday life and 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 like how aware you are of like why you're doing what you're doing and like it's a constant struggle to sort of live the life that you want to live versus what everyone wants you to live. Now this song is basically finished and something interesting about the recording is that it's just drums, organ, and vocals. There's no bass, no guitar, those backup vocals with all the reverb and effects really just take up a lot of space. Love that one. Okay, so check out Joey now trying to tell me about a song called Weather Vane and a song called Turn It Off, which he can't remember the title of. Weather Vane and then, like, what's the other song? It's like, um... You take off all the shoes and... Da, 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 I like that you just said that that might be the lyrics. <laughs> I know, I don't <laughs> know. The lyrics. I just sing randomly. I don't know all the lyrics to all the songs. I love that you just <laughs> You take off all our shoes. <laughs> Here's that lyric that he thought was, they take off all our shoes. We take all our cues, they take off all our shoes, same thing. So what was it he was trying to tell me about these two songs? Those two songs were were kind of one song, but then one we decided was, we had a 6-8 version and a 4-4 version, and then we turned them into two separate songs. Here they are, starting with Weathervane. Turn it off. I'm motion picture minds. I'm making bored and uninspired lists of all that we are. But 
one more for you. This song is called So In Love, and Claire explains that it was originally for a play. The reason this one is like sticks out as having stories because it was... So, Josh Matches and I... I Joey, I don't think you were a part of this. He's connected with theater people at like Pig Iron, and so there was a girl, her name was Gethy, I know that, and she was working on um, a small play. Josh and I got together and we started recording ambient sounds like tea kettles going off and all this stuff. And so we had like some, some, uh, I guess you could say like an environment in our heads going on. So, 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 so I was really inspired by Eraserhead, the song that this girl plays, like in heaven. Everything is fine. You know that part? Mm -hmm. And I thought it was such like a cool, um, like sort of like pop song that like just like lingers from like another world. And so I wanted to create like this this music that was on the ship, like like a pop song from Earth that was just like playing over and over again in the ship. So I kind of like was basically just trying to get like sort of like this creepy core of a pop song and that's sort of like what that song is but it was meant to be like a loop from from tapes that were left over from people on a spaceship and it was supposed to sort of embody like what earth pop songs were so to me it was like pop songs are usually about love and relationships and i feel like so it was supposed to be about that but it was also supposed to be sad and like yeah like it's interesting you're like you brought you really brought that into the music because I remember from a very early age I was uh, I basically decided I was never going to use the word love in any of my lyrics. I was yeah, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to ever say that word in any of my songs. And then I got together with Claire, and she uses it all the time. So what the fuck? Why are they holding out on us? And there's even more material where all this came from. Why did production of this album essentially stop three years ago? And are there any plans for finishing it? We were going to get back to that. And then just other life things started to take over. Yeah. The school. And then eventually... The school. Paolo. Sometimes, yeah, Paolo, obviously. But sometimes it was also just the relationship, too. Because it's like, you know, what do you want to do? We both worked all day do you want to make music right now or do you want to like cozy up and watch a movie and it's hard I think for you in particular I always <laughs> want to do music <laughs> I mean I still to this day like you miss doing it you miss oh it oh my god I miss I miss the it the only too, reason definitely. like I mean well, you and I don't it. want to put this on yeah. you because this isn't putting it on you is like you play music and grubby little hands and you run a music school and you just have music at your fingertips like literally like you can just come up with something and, and go on your computer 
And, like, whereas for me, like, I, like, would love, I, every weekend, you know that what I would like to do if we had a babysitter, even if it was at night, would be going to the studio. But yeah. that's, like, I think another so thing this is, this is, but it's gonna happen. Like, we're gonna finish that album. That's, I was gonna get there. I was gonna ask We're you, not, like, done, done. Like, is the looks of it, do you think it's stalled out? It's on a high, an I extended think, hiatus, I but think, it's not. I don't know if it'll be the looks of it either, because... Um, we could call it something so different. It sounded like maybe Claire is more interested in making this a higher priority in the nearer future, and Joey feels very confident that it will eventually happen, but right now he's not chomping at the bit. And to Claire's point, Joey is extremely active musically. Aside from the school, which we still have to talk about, we are full steam ahead with grubby little hands, practicing, playing shows, touring, in the studio, working on a new album. And Joey also does one-off projects. He's mixed and mastered the TJ Kong and the Atomic Bomb album, Manufacturing Joy, as well as half of the album Trash and Treasure for Justin Stenz, the former drummer of Dr. Dog. And he composed music for the full-length documentary Libertopia by Christina Heller. But I got to witness this conversation between Claire and Joey where it seemed like Claire was really excited about the prospect of reviving the looks of it album. Like, but I'm saying like, I would do that on a Friday night, but you don't want to. Yeah, but we will at some point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so just... And this. But that's we just the thing. Watch is, a show with me. It always goes back to that, though. It is tough because you want to do just like normal relationship things, too. You don't just always want to have it be about making music, but maybe. maybe not I not always. Try it. <laughs> but here. And this. You yeah. haven't really put much thought into how you would finish this album. It's just not a high priority for you right now. I mean, I think we we've, we we talked when he was younger about bringing the pack and play when he was more mobile, sleeping, and we thought about putting him in the pack and play and recording. And yeah. he just it was the kind of thing where Joey was in the thick of the business and like he just didn't want to go for two hours on a Saturday to the studio. Yeah. And I understand that. Um, for me, that was my only potential outlet. Was like. I'm with a baby all day, like, let's go to the studio, let's go, let's go. But So I think this conversation was healthy, and not to take credit for forcing it, but suddenly they were talking about what it would take to finish it. I still, there's a dream of, like, like bringing the studio to, like, a house in Maine for a summer, and just, like, recording and having all of our friends come up whenever they feel like it and just recording and spending. Well, when I realized that they do plan to finish the album, because I honestly didn't know that when I first met with them, and they mentioned this dream of spending a summer in Maine to finish it, which isn't a completely far-fetched idea because they're self-employed, they run a business, which they could do remotely or temporarily check out from. So I had to ask, one, how they felt about sharing clips of the unfinished works in this podcast, and two, what they plan to do with the album if and when they finish it. They were totally on board with sharing the clips, and they have no expectations as far as a release would go. They would just be finishing it to finish it. Joey said it's unlikely they would become a performing or touring band, but of course as a recording artist, there are always other ways of getting exposure. Yeah. So like, you can be I just think a recording the dream, artist. Sure. Yeah, I think like, if you said like, well, what's the dream? It would be to get our music and like movies and stuff or like shows yeah i mean well any sort of film projects with music i I guess that would would, be the dream if there is a dream but again your dream is just like can i please like (laughs) can i can i go to the studio and like make noise that is my dream that is serious 
So I'm dedicating far less time in this episode to Philly music lessons than I did to the looks of it. But we'd be doing you, the listeners, a huge disservice not to cover it at all, because it's really interesting. Joey started giving guitar lessons in his basement, and now employs about 50 teachers with over 250 students in the Philadelphia area. They have a studio in Fishtown, a few blocks from their house, and they're in the process of opening another location in South Philly. Claire, in addition to handling the social media, the blog, the film, and photography for the company, runs kids' classes and leads Philly Music Babies, a class for babies and toddlers and the mommies and daddies who accompany them. I was just freelance teaching in the city, and I asked my friend Chris Morrell, who's really, he's been a friend of mine since I was in, like, preschool, and he's really tech savvy. I just asked him to make me a simple website, basically just for me as a teacher. And he was just looking up domain names because we weren't sure what we were going to use. And he told me that phillymusiclessons.com was not taken and advised me that that could possibly be something. Well, he gave me a bunch of it. It was like there were a couple ones related, but Philly Music Lessons to me was the catchiest. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, all right, let's take that one, because if I ever do decide to like hire another teacher or something, that would be a good domain name to have. And so he made me that website, and it was just me as the teacher for like two years, probably. And then I hired Alex Mayo, the drummer from the looks of it, mm-hmm. was the first teacher I ever hired. And he was just teaching out of my basement here, back when the studio was in the basement. So that's where, like, when we're talking about our basement studio, it was the recording studio, but it was also the Philly Music Lesson Studio where I did lessons from, and then Alex did lessons. Um, so when I told Chris I wanted to add somebody, he was like, okay, I'll like make a couple changes on the website to make that easy. And then he came back with this, like, way better website than he should have made for me, basically. <laughs> it was not... <laughs> right for him to do what he did (laughs) like because he didn't charge me for it and he was like basically i got a little carried away on this here is this beautiful website that's like set up in a way that you can grow it and like he basically taught me the very fundamental things of wordpress um and it's still like that the basis of that website is still the website that we have Evolution of Philly Music Lessons had a huge deal to do with just the kindness of people that I know. Like, Chris Morrell, obviously the first one who made the website. Then, like, Nick Eubanks, who Kira was dating, just giving me, like, insane amounts of free SEO uh, advice. That's so funny. And then Nick's friend John Henry, who, like told me to start writing articles and was getting them placed on other websites that would link back. Mm -hmm. Um, That made a huge difference. And then my friend Brian Hall, who uh, taught me how to do Facebook advertisement. Uh Um, Yes, promoted posts. So, like, truthfully, like, I'm not a businessman. I went to school for music, for jazz guitar performance. So... I didn't know what I was doing, and I have a lot of friends that helped me out and allowed me to pick their brains, and that's kind of, I think, why the business has grown. George built walls for you? Yep, George built walls. And now, so, I'm in the process of going in with a partner, Stephen Longenecker, on a second location in South Philly now, um, and George is the contractor for the space. So it's like, 
it's always just like in house. Yeah. <laughs> like friends and you know the Even your teachers like came from your The teachers started out, yeah, just friends. as my friends. Now we have, you know, teachers who are from all different places and And you have employees who are not teachers. Yeah, so we have the admins now. So I did all the scheduling and the office stuff at first, but now I don't I don't do any of that. We have admins dealing with the day-to-day scheduling and teachers. Like once once we got above like 20 teachers and we got above like 100 students, the amount of admin work and the amount of like managing teachers that goes into it was so much more than I imagined. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was in for. I asked Joey if when he first started giving guitar lessons in his basement, if he always planned or hoped to expand it into a business like this. It seems much more sustainable and lucrative in the long term. So was this always the goal? It was an accident. It was like, and it was just the idea of just like seeing opportunities come and just taking them. So, so what, what instruments do you more of that? What instruments do you teach? At this point, we teach all instruments and voice. Like we have all the brass instruments, all the woodwind instruments, you know, the strings, like classical strings, like violin, viola, cello, upright bass, and then guitar, piano, drums, banjo, ukulele, all that stuff. Could I think of an instrument that you do not teach? Yeah, you could. Didgeridoo. I was just about to say we don't teach didgeridoo. That's always the thing Why that, is that I say. The one? We teach all the instruments besides didgeridoo. No, we don't no. teach accordion. We don't teach... Oh, yeah, that's true. So um, there's a couple instruments. Music guitar. Player. But we're, the thing is, is if somebody contacted us about, te- about accordion lessons, yeah, I have people one. that I can talk to. It's just we don't advertise it on the website because it's this very niche. Gotcha. Or niche. Right. However you want to say it. Sorry. How do you want to say it? Niche or niche? I'll say niche. I like niche. I like niche too. So in addition to private lessons, they have group classes and kids classes tailored around music appreciation. I've mentioned Philly Music Babies a few times, a playful and interactive class which Claire leads to engage even the youngest with the joys of experiencing music and making and manipulating sounds. They also have a class for those three, four, five-year-olds called Music Exploration, which sort of bridges the gap between Philly Music Babies and a child who is old enough to take private lessons on an instrument. They're opening up a second location in South Philly where they've partnered up with Stephen Longenecker, who worked as the choir director at the Hill School, and he's coming on as the program director for PML. It's a constantly growing business, and at least part of its success can be attributed, I think, to their overall philosophy. You connect Philly music lessons with the best teachers and musicians in the Philadelphia area and kind of create like a culture and a community around that. And my main thing is I do not tell the teachers what to teach in private lessons. It's not like we have this set curriculum that teachers are required to teach. Because I come from being a teacher and I never liked when people told me what to teach because I always felt like I knew what to teach better because I'm the person sitting there with the kid and he's telling me what he likes and I can see what piques his interest and what doesn't. And so if someone's telling me what to teach them, then it doesn't give me the freedom to get that kid excited about music. So I basically, I try to hire really good teachers and then I give them free reign to teach whatever they want in the lessons. But like the core mission statement is to keep it fun 
and exciting for the students. Mm -hmm. So, like, we don't push any particular style of music. We don't push any particular method. And that idea of attracting the best teachers and then empowering them to tailor a customized approach for every student based on the student's interests, it's working. Claire shared one such example from their last recital. So Freddie's student is like a four-year-old, and Freddie arranged the Star Wars theme for his beginner violin student to play. And the kid went up with a lightsaber bow. He Dressed as Darth bow, Vader. And, he, and he, so he had a backup accompaniment on the piano, and then he was Darth Vader. So I'm like, I'm like applauding Freddie right now for like being open to that and embracing that, and the kid's yeah. father too. But so Freddie comes to mind. I've always admired how connected and tight-knit the music world is here in Philadelphia for being such a large city and home to so many talented musicians. Philly Music Lessons is yet another community that makes Philadelphia feel smaller. Some of my favorite fixtures in the indie music scene teach at PML, like Jen Pig from Vita and the Wolf and Patrick Menzel from Bel Air. All right, it's time to wrap this one up and put a bow on it. Joey, Claire, two people I love with all my heart and admire on so many levels. Rep and Wyo, like T-Swift. Remember when I said all the rest of the songs we were going to hear were unreleased looks of its songs? I lied, because I've decided to end the episode with this one, For Your Mistake. And this song is out, a standalone single. It was the first post-EP recording they finished, and it was intended to be a teaser for the full length. Here's hoping that one day this orphan gets a family. This has been an episode of Good Behavior Podcast. All the songs in this episode, from featured tracks to background music, were by this episode's guests, used with their permission. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to reach out to Claire or Joey and encourage them not to forget about their dream to resurrect the looks of it. In the meantime, they are still very actively creating. You can always hear Joey's work with grubby little hands and enjoy Claire's visual art at the links provided at goodbehavior.us slash podcast one. And of course, if you or anyone you know of any age or ability is interested in discovering the joys of learning an instrument, you know where to go. 